Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. In our study of Deuteronomy, we're at chapter 4. And we're going to try to cover verse 41 through 49 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41 through the end of the chapter. Over the next hour, uh, in the flesh, we could learn some things. We could just sit here and learn some stuff. But for what we just sang to come about, Jesus Christ, our greatest treasure, for us to see that Christ as our greatest treasure, for us to feel that deep within our souls, we need God's help. We really need God's help as we meditate on his word together. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to do more than just learn a few things, but to see the glory of Christ. Father, thank you so much again that we get to come to your word. Your word is so powerful and so precious to us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes as we read it and meditate on it together, that you would open our eyes to your glory, You'd help us to see Christ as the greatest treasure. God, we need you to open our eyes. We need you to give us eyes to see. God, we don't want to come to this time in your word just in the flesh. But but by the power of your spirit, God, that you would help us. Help me, Lord, to teach your word. Help us to hear it. God, we're a people under the, under the authority of your word. And we love you and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4, let's read verse 41 through 49. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan For the Manassites. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Beyond the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites who lived at Heshbon whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land in the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who lived to the east beyond the Jordan. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, that is Hermon, together with all the Arabah on the east, 
on the east side of the Jordan as far as the Sea of the Arabah, under the slopes of Pisgah. Now there's two, two main sections in this text that we just read, two main sections. Uh, the first one is in verse 41 through 43, and it's speaking about the cities of refuge. Okay, we're going to come back to that, the cities of refuge. And the second main section here, verse 44 through the end of the chapter, verse 49, is really an introduction to the law, to the law of God that Moses is about to lay out beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So two main sections, the cities of refuge and an introduction to the law. That's what we have before us this morning. So let's begin with the cities of refuge, verse 41 through 43. And let's begin just by asking the question, what are they? What are these cities of refuge? Verse 41 says, Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan. So on this side of the Jordan that they're on, okay, the people of Israel um, on the verge of entering the promised land, crossing the Jordan, they'll set up more of these cities of refuge over there. But on this side of the Jordan, three cities of refuge are set up. And it says here in verse 41 and verse 42, I mean, it says that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in times past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. So what are these what are these cities of refuge? Well, this says, they're for the manslayer. They're for the manslayer. Well, what's a manslayer? What told us right there in the text, it says, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in times past. So this is not the same as murder. So a manslayer is not the same thing as a murderer. Now, we see this. I want to read this to you in Exodus 21. It's probably the first time, uh, or it's really the first time that we get some insight into these cities of refuge. But around that, that little verse in Exodus 21, it talks about murder as well. So listen to this difference between murder and manslaying. Exodus 21 verse 12 says, Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. So death penalty for the murderer. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which you may flee. So this is a precursor to the cities of refuge. I'm going to appoint a place for you that you might flee. What do you mean? That who might flee? The person that doesn't intend to kill this person, but they do. Just under the providence of God. It's just under God's hand, under the providence of God. This happened. This manslaying happened. Unintentional killing. I'll, I'll make a place for you to flee. Verse 14. But if a man willfully attacks another. So that's not accidentally. That's not unintentionally. That's intentional killing willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning you shall take him from my altar that he may die so death penalty for the murderer but the city of refuge given here 
for the manslayer, the one that has unintentionally killed his neighbor. Now, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 42 here, it says, flee twice, that he might flee to these cities. Okay? It says it again, that he might flee to these cities, and then the phrases, and save his life. So these cities of refuge, they were places where, where a man there could flee to. He needed to flee there to save his life. And you should ask the question, well, why would he need to flee somewhere? Why would he need to save his life? And the answer is because of the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood. This would have been the one that was actually... Um, by God's design, from Numbers 35, we'll go read there in a minute, was meant to execute justice on the murderer. The one that had murdered, the avenger of blood was to come in and to be the one to lead out the death sentence for the one who was a murderer. So the avenger of blood. So manslayer, flee to this city because of the avenger of blood. Now, this is a system, a, a form of justice in a world where you don't have a a police department, a courtroom in every town. Now to understand it better, flip with me just a few pages back to Numbers 35. I want you to understand the cities of refuge. Numbers 35, and we're going to start in verse 9. And I really want you to think about what verse 12 means. We're going to start in verse 9. I want you to think about what verse 12 means. Numbers 35, 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall, let, you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you. Okay, so you got three on this side of the Jordan. He's saying you're going to select three, three more cities on the other side. Cities of refuge for you. Why? That the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger. That the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. So why these cities of refuge? It says here, a refuge from the avenger, the one that would come execute uh, justice, execute the death penalty on the murderer, so that, so, that they, so that this manslayer would be protected from the avenger until he can stand before the congregation for judgment. And in that trial, in that congregation, he would be, he would be either condemned for murder or acquitted as one that unintentionally has killed his neighbor. Now this says here, the avenger, more, uh, typically, uh, this was the case typically, it would have been a close, uh, closest uh, male kin to the one that had been killed. Uh, interestingly, it's actually the same Hebrew word from the book of Ruth. You remember uh, men were called kinsman redeemer or closest of kin. It's actually the same Hebrew word here, the avenger of blood. It's closest, nearest of kin would be the one that was supposed to do this. Now, keep going in Numbers 35, more understanding, more details. Verse 13 through 15, it tells us who these cities are for. And the cities that you give shall be 
your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan, which they're doing in our passage in Deuteronomy, and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them. Why? That anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. And there's a repetition that anyone who kills someone without intent may flee to the city of refuge, save their life from the avenger of blood until they can come under trial or under the judgment of the congregation. Now, verse 16 through 21 tells you the role of the avenger of blood. Listen to it. This is the role of the avenger. But if he struck him down, and he's going to give you some examples here, with an iron object so that he died, he's a murderer. He's not a manslayer. He's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone a stone tool that could cause death, and he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death, and he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Who's supposed to lead that out? Verse 19, the avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if you read the next few verses, that's just repeated again. That if it's murder, the job, the role of the avenger of blood is to put him to death. This is a form of justice in the land. And yet, God knows that uh, as, as men attempt to, to uh, administer justice, that we can be unjust in the way we try to administer justice. We can be caught up in the emotions of the moment or we can, we can misunderstand something and misjudge something and therefore our justice is not just. And so, verse 22 through 25 but if he pushed him suddenly without enmity, he's not against this person, or hurled anything on him without lying in wait, or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him, dropped it on him. See, this is accidental stuff. He used the stone, but he, he didn't see him there. No enmity involved, no intention involved, and dropped the stone and he died. Though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer. So not the murderer. The murderer deserves death. But the manslayer shall be rescued from the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge in which he had fled. And he shall live in it until the day until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. So if it's an accident, then they're to flee to the city of refuge so that the avenger of blood doesn't unjustly, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of his anger, kill this person unjustly, and they're supposed to be held in the city of refuge safely until judgment can be made to either clear the person or to condemn the person. Now, also, 
Uh, go to Deuteronomy 19, and I'm not going to read this whole, one, whole passage here. Deuteronomy 19, verse 1 through 13, also tells us about the cities of refuge. And we'll get to that passage eventually. So I don't want to read the whole thing here, but I do want to highlight a couple of examples, or a couple of extra details um, that might help us understand the cities of refuge. Deuteronomy 19, look at verse 5, because verse 5, he gives another example, just like in Numbers, of what manslaying is. This is an example, verse 5. As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe, axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live. So you see the accidental nature of that, right? Like he's just cutting wood, something happens with the axe, the head of the axe slips from, slips from him, it hits the person that he's working alongside and kills him. This is an accident. Horrific, but it's a... It's an accident. Now, verse 6, you glance at verse 6, Deuteronomy 19, 6. It gives, you, it, 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 it gives us some details about why, why should they have multiple cities? You know, um, why have cities on this side of the Jordan, three cities? And if you notice in our text, one in each tribe. And why have cities on the other side of the Jordan? Why have several of these uh, cities of refuge placed in certain places. Why? Why have it that way? Well, verse 6 give us, gives us the detail. 19.6 says, Lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer. Remember, that's hot anger, not just anger. That's emotional, in the moment. I'm going to kill this person regardless of the eyewitnesses, regardless of what God has said about this being just. Lest the avenger of blood and hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die. So why have these cities scattered throughout Israel like this? Because if the way is too long, that's what it says here, if the way is too long, he might be tracked down by an unjust avenger of blood and killed. So put one of these, rescue, these cities of refuge here and put one here and put one here and put one here. So it's not a long way to get there, but they can get there quickly. Everybody has quick access to these safe havens. Now, hope you understand more clearly this is what the cities of refuge are. Now I want you to think about for a minute, how would these, you know, try, try to put yourself in the shoes of the manslayer, okay? How would this... How would this city of refuge be a help to you if you were a manslayer? Imagine yourself being in their shoes. You unintentionally, accidentally kill someone. I mean, imagine the, the emotions in that moment, how it makes you feel. This is, this is horrific. This is going to stay with you for the rest of your life. This is going to mark you all your days that you killed this. You didn't mean to, but you unintentionally killed this person, and you're feeling that in that moment. And then you realize that the avenger of blood is doubting your integrity. And so what do you do? What do you do? He's gathering up his people to come kill you. What do you do? The avenger, the avenger of blood is coming. What do you do? Well, you flee, as it says here, 
Imagine that. Imagine putting yourself in their shoes. You flee to that Levite city, that city of the priests. That's, that's the, who are in these cities, the Levites. And you flee to that priestly city. You, 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 you run there for refuge. You run there for safety. You get to the gates of the city. You tell them your story. You tell them what happened. And if it suffices on their end, they let you in. And they hold you there safely until trial, until your name can either be cleared. Um, this was unintentional. This is a manslayer. And he's not a murderer. Or that you would be killed. Now, this would not be easy. Um, if you were a manslayer, this wouldn't be easy. you got all this stuff that bothers you already that you've killed this person. And not only that, but you're actually having to uproot your life to go to this city of refuge. This would not have been easy. This, this, in fact, this would have been a real encouragement for many people um, to, to try not to have accidents, right? To try not to unintentionally do this because it's going to change your life. So it wouldn't have been easy, but you would have been thankful knowing that the, knowing that the avenger of blood was coming. You would have been thankful for this safe haven. Now, these cities of refuge, what do they reveal to us about God? That's such a good question to always ask in the Bible. You're reading something in the scriptures and just ask that question so often. What does this tell me about God? So what do the cities of refuge reveal to us about God? Remember, Numbers 35, there's his idea. Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 19. The cities of refuge are God's idea. Well, what do they tell us about him? And I'll mention three things. They tell us that God loves justice. Number one, God loves justice. He cares about justice to the murderer. It's death penalty to the murderer. In fact, and it's, it's safe here. Like there has to be eyewitnesses, even from the event. Keep reading in Numbers 35. Even from the avenger of blood, there has to be eyewitnesses to this case to make sure it's clear and sure, but death penalty to the murderer. He cares about that. But he also cares here. Knowing that humans are often unjust in the way they administer justice, he cares about justice to this innocent one, this manslayer that didn't intend to kill him. So he gives them cities of refuge to protect the innocent. God cares about biblical justice. Number two, God hates the shedding of innocent blood. It's something we can see about God here. He hates it. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. The protection given... Through the cities of refuge against shedding innocent blood, that protection that's given through this, this ordinance here is an expression of who God is. And here's what I mean. Proverbs 6 verse 17 says, The Lord hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Our God's like that. He hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And therefore, an expression of that, one of the expressions of that is cities of refuge, refuge to protect the shedding of, of innocent blood. Three, God values life. God values life. God values the life of humans because all humans are image bearers of God. And therefore, He values life. We even see that in the death penalty. I don't know if that's ironic to you, but even in the death penalty itself, we see that, that that death penalty to the murder is given because of the value of the life that was taken. And not only that, but for the death penalty to be given, there must be this system of eyewitness and trial and congregation and judgment because, because God values life, even of the murderer. And we see it here in the cities of refuge. 
the manslayers being provided a refuge because God values life. I want to encourage you to love these things about your God. Because you're an image bearer of God, you probably don't even remember when those these kind of values began to be your kind of values because you're just an image bearer of God. This idea of loving justice, even in a lost world to some sense, it's marred, it's messed up, but even in a lost world, there's this love of justice and this hatred of the shedding of innocent blood and this value of life that happens, even in a lost world. Why? Because we're image bearers of God. And then you're saved, and that sort of marred version of these things gets, it gets sanctified. But love this stuff about your God. He values life. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. And he loves justice. I want to mention a few here. We'll, we'll make some more application at the end of our time. But I want to mention a few application points here to these cities of refuge. Number one, application point number one, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, be godly. Uh, be like God. Love the things he loves. Hate the things that he hates. And value the things that he values. Be like God. Be godly. We are called to love justice like our God. Isaiah 61 verse 8. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. Let's be like him in our love of biblical justice. We're called to hate evil. Psalm 97 verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. To grow with the Lord means you're going to grow not only in your love for some things, but you're going to grow in your hatred of some things. I wonder if you've ever thought about sanctification like that. That you not only grow in your love for things that are righteous, but you grow in your hatred for th things that are evil. That's a part of sanctification, to increase in hatred. Hate specifically, as it says here, the shedding of innocent blood in Proverbs 6, 17. Hate the shedding of innocent blood in all of its forms. And genocide and abortion and all of it. Hate the shedding. We're called to hate this stuff because God hates it. We want to be like God. Don't be numb to this stuff, in other words. Don't let the movies that you watch or the news that you listen to make you numb to things that God hates. Love justice. Hate evil. And value life. Like God, value life. All humans are image bearers of God, and therefore life is, is supposed to be seen by us as supremely valuable. So value life. Va value life in the way you talk about having children. Value life in the way you speak out for those that can't speak for themselves. Proverbs 31 says, open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all those who are appointed to die, open your mouth and judge righteously. Plead the cause of the poor and needy. Value life in that way. Value life by reserving your judgment until there's clear evidence. Don't, don't be like the unjust avenger of blood coming after an innocent man because you can't wait. You don't value life enough to wait to see witnesses, eyewitnesses, and evidence. And there's many more things we could go in there, but we're called to do this, to be like God, to love justice, to hate evil, and to value life. Now, a second application, so 
If one application of the cities of refuge is just be like him, whatever this reveals about God, be like him. I want to mention a second, a second uh, application here. I think it's very unlikely, and I think you would agree with this, it's very unlikely that anybody here would accidentally kill someone in your life. Now it happens, and it's here in the scripture, it happens. And it's hard, but it's unlikely, it's rare that you would accidentally kill someone in your life. But it is certain, it is absolutely certain that you will accidentally sin. That you will accidentally sin. And I want to explain that. Humans, humans are so sinful. Do you know this about yourself? Humans are so sinful that we not only sin intentionally, we sin unintentionally. We not, we not only sin with eyes wide open, but there are even hidden faults and secret sins that we don't even know about. Humans sin even unintentionally. Now David, David prayed about this. And we can see it in Psalm 19 verse 12. David says, who can discern his own errors. So he's looking in. Can I discern my own sin? Can I discern my own errors? He says, who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. So God, keep me from eyes wide open willful sins. And God, keep me from hidden faults. Forgive my hidden faults, my unintentional sins. Now the law of God... You don't have to flip there, but you can if you're fast. Leviticus 4. Um, the law of God makes provision for this sort of thing. Remember where we're coming from here is I don't think it's, it's rare that you would accidentally kill someone, but it's very certain that you will unintentionally sin. Leviticus 4 says this, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and does, one, does any one of them, if it's the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people. Now listen to me. This happens one, two, three, four times. I could, I could read that repetition to you four different times in Leviticus chapter 4. Same pattern there. If anyone sins unintentionally, and then it uses the word guilt, there's guilt there even for the unintentional sin. There's guilt for the unintentional. It says it four times there. Guilt for unintentional sin. And then it says, here's the provision made. Here's the sacrifice. Here's the blood that's to be shed even for the unintentional sins that bring about guilt. And so in light of that, I, I want to just mention a, a, a sort of situation. I've, I've been a part of this a few different times, and I wonder if you have, or I wonder if you're in the middle of, of something like this now, of someone that's just so anxious over unknown sin. And my experience has been maybe a brand new believer, someone that's in Christ, I think they probably are saved, and man, they're just, 
stressed out and anxious to the point of tears, to the point of pain in their chest over, but, but what if I, but what if I sinned against God and I didn't know it? And what if I, and what if I did this and I didn't know it? And, and oh no, what if that thing I did over there was sinful? And what about my intentions? And they're just so anxious and worried, not like someone resting in the blood of Christ, but like someone that's just, just overboard anxious about their hidden sin, their unintentional sin. How do you help someone like that? How do you help someone like that? And what you shouldn't do is minimize the sin. Hey, sin's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. Calm down. That's not the way to deal with it because it's not true. Sin is a big deal, even unintentional sin. And you also shouldn't lie about God and say, hey, God's not a God of justice. God is not the ultimate avenger of blood because God is that. How do you comfort this person? How do you help them? Man, tell them about the city's of refuge. <laughs> the place to flee to, that the manslayer that unintentionally did this thing can, can run there. Tell them about the cities of refuge that Christ Jesus has made a way for the forgiveness, not just of your eyes wide open sin, but even the unintentional stuff. He's purchased forgiveness for all of iniquity, it says in Colossians 1. All of it. Even the stuff you don't know about. Jesus paid it all. He's a city of refuge. So if you need that comfort, take it. If you need to give it to somebody else, give it to them. Help them. Let's move to the introduction of the law. Verse 44, so Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now these seem very, very disconnected, and I'm sure you feel that as we transition here I hope to make some connections between the cities of refuge and this introduction of the law but let's go there Deuteronomy 4 and it's verse 44 through 49 is this introduction to the law now now again remember what's happening here this narrative of you know we, we've just come out of Moses' first speech in chapter 1 2 3 and 4 and, and then we're in this narrative section of, and then they appointed the cities of refuge, and then there's this introduction to the law. And then we're going to enter in, in chapter 5, verse 1, to that next long speech of Moses. And it's going to go for a while in Deuteronomy, okay? For a long while, several chapters, okay? And really this introduction in, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 44 through 49, it's just getting you ready. Like Moses is about to repeat the law, that was given to Sinai and expound upon the law that was given to Sinai. He's about to do that for these people before they enter into the promised land. And so this section is really just preparing us. And the main description of what he's saying is verse 44 and 45. So this is the main description of the next speech of Moses that's coming. Look at it. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel... These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now, if you keep reading to the end of the chapter, it's just giving you several details that we've already covered. Several details about where they're at, where they're hearing you know, Moses preached this law and, and expound upon this law. They're sitting in the land where they just conquered from, from Sihon and from Og. These Amorite kings just conquered them. And they're sitting right there. They're on the verge of entering into the promised land. And he gives them this, 
this repetition of this expounding upon the law of God. So those closing verses just give us details about where they're sitting as they hear Moses preach. Well, we're about to study together in chapters 5, verse 1, all the way to several chapters in to Deuteronomy. So here's what I want to do. I want to use this introduction to the law. We just read it, verse 44 and 45. The law, the testimonies, the statutes, the rules. I want to, I want to use this introduction to do something very, very simple. I want to encourage us, encourage our hearts to get prepared. Get, get prepared in your heart to study the law of God together. We're about to, God willing, begin the next week. Chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to begin to study the law of God together. I want to, I want to use this introdu introduction to encourage you to prepare your heart for that. Get your heart ready for what's, what's coming. Now, the repetition, the fact that we can go read about this in Exodus 19, 20 and following, and Leviticus and Numbers, and, and, then, and then there's a repetition of things in Deuteronomy, starting in Deuteronomy 5, and an expounding of this law from Moses. Just that fact ought to make you understand the importance of this law. Man, this stuff is important. We're hearing it again. We're hearing the Ten Commandments again. He's expounding on this stuff. Man, this stuff is important. I'll sit with you like that. I'm excited about this. We're going to study it together. This stuff is, this is a big deal. Now, I want you to see that. I want you to see the importance and the beauty of the law of God as we get ready to study it. So the beauty, the beauty of the law of God. Now, to do that, I want to read this to you. This is from Psalm 19. And I want to encourage you to test your heart by this psalm. Does your heart align? You're getting ready to study the law of God with the church beginning in Deuteronomy 5.1. Does your heart align with Psalm 19? Listen to this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure do you feel like this about his testimony? Listen, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Man, more to be desired than gold. I want this stuff. I want the law of God more than gold, more than money, more than riches, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Oh, man, this rejoices my heart. Test your heart by these words about the law of God for what's to come. In this little introduction, what's coming? We get to study this stuff. Another one like that. Just, let me just read a scattering of verses here uh, from Psalm 119. Are you looking forward to this in a Psalm 119 way? Listen to it. Psalm 119, verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. I delight in them as much as in all riches. I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Are you ready for it like that? Verse, verse 24. Your testimonies, God, are my delight. They are my, they're my counselors. 
Verse 40, verse 47. For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. Man, he's looking forward to studying it like, like that. Verse, uh, verse 52. When I think of your rules from of old, that's what I'm trying to get you to think about his rules from of old that we're about to study. And when you think about those rules, I take comfort, oh Lord. I take comfort, oh Lord. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day long. I want to encourage you that to, to test your heart by what we're reading right there. The, this is an introduction in Deuteronomy 4 to the law of God, and we're about to dig into it together. Is your heart in that place? If it is, praise him, increase it more and more. If it's not, call out to him to get your heart there. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day long. Now, a couple reasons. Let me give a couple reasons why maybe you would see the law that way. A couple reasons. Number one, the law of God reveals to us who God is. So as we read God's law, we study God's law, it's revealing to us who God is, His his character, his nature, his standards, his will, who he is, what's he like? It reveals God to us. Now think about how we just did that in the cities of refuge. We read about the cities of refuge, and then we asked the question, what does this tell us about God? And through this law in Deuteronomy 19 about the cities of refuge, through this law in Numbers 35 about the cities of refuge, through that law, what do we find out about God? He loves justice. He, he hates wickedness. He hates the shedding of of blood. He values life. We're getting to know our God through these laws. Now, there's many other examples like that in the law of God. Don't commit adultery. God values marriage. God is a God that hates sexual immorality. This is what he's like. Even the little things like the, you remember the little law is coming in Deuteronomy about the parapet. I know about that law. That when you build a house, there's a command, you, you build a parapet around it. It's like a, essentially a safety mechanism in, some, in case somebody falls off your house. They get unbalanced and fall. They don't just fall to their death. They, the parapet's like a safety net. There's actually a command in there to do that. Why? What do we learn from that command? Is that just random stuff? Or what do we learn from it? We see that God values life. And that, and that you valuing life like God values life should cause you, it even affects the way you do the construction of your house. So, so here's what I'm saying. The law reveals to us who God is and what He's like. Therefore, do you want to know God? And if you want to know God, God came down on Mount Sinai and He spoke some things to the people of Israel. He spoke His law to them. And then here's Moses repeating it and expounding on it. As you study it and read it, get to know your God. Know God through His Word. Know God through His law. Specifically here through the law of Moses. I hope that's a reason to get you excited. A second reason to get you excited about the law of God study is it leads us to Jesus. The law of God leads us to Jesus. This is uh, from Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus said this, Everything written about me in the law of Moses. I love that phrase. 
Jesus has died at this point, resurrected from the dead, seen by eyewitnesses. They're looking at him and he says, everything written about me in the law of Moses. Jesus all over, all over the law of Moses. Now, the law of God leads us to Jesus in several ways. I'll mention just a couple. One is the law has different pieces of it that foreshadow Jesus. They are shadows of Christ, foreshadowing Jesus for us in the law. Don't miss that. I could give many examples. One example would be like the, the whole sacrificial system, right? That, that here you are, you're a sinner that deserves death, and so what do you do? And the priest comes, and he takes his hands, and he lays it on that lamb, that innocent lamb, lays his hands, and begins to confess your sin over that lamb, and then the lamb is slaughtered instead of you. And then Jesus comes, and he's called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's these pictures of Christ. The shadows of Christ and the law. Now another way the, the law reveals or, or leads us to Jesus is the law, hear me out, reveals our need for, for Jesus, our need for Christ as a Savior. The law shows us our need for Christ as a Savior. Listen to Romans 7 verse 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. When I don't see God's standard, His righteousness standard, I can look at myself and look at people all around you and go, man, I guess I'm doing pretty good. I'm all right. No need for a Savior. But the moment God's law enters in and the, righteousness, the righteous standard of God is put in front of my eyes, what does it help me see about myself? Man, I have fallen so short. I do not meet the standards of God. I'm a wicked person, not a good person. I deserve wrath and not blessing. The law leads you there to see your need for Christ. You need salvation. Listen to Romans 7 verse 13. Through the commandment, sin becomes sinful beyond measure. If you're in that place where, where you feel like, yeah, yeah, I know I, I sin. Everybody sins, but it's not that big of a deal. I'm not that bad. The law of God, God's standard comes in. The Ten Commandments and other things that reveal things about God's standard, His holiness, His righteousness. And you compare yourself to that standard and all of a sudden your sin is sinful beyond measure. The law helps you see the sinfulness of your sin so that you know, I need a Savior. I need Christ. I can't make it on my own. I can't merit my salvation. I can't earn my way into heaven. I need Christ Jesus who died for me. I need his salvation. The law has shown me that. So the law, again, wanting you to be ready to study it together. The law is like a painting. It's like a painting so that we can more clearly see who God is. We're reading the law like a painting that's showing us things about what our God's like and we get to know him. And the law is like a mirror. So we can see who we are. So we look into the law of God and we see things about ourselves that we, we have dropped the ball, we, we have fallen so short, that we're sinful humans that need a Savior. It shows us who we are. And then it's like, it's like the law becomes a painting again to show you who Christ is and what He's like and what He's done to save sinners. So the law is beautiful. The law is glorious. 
the Apostle Paul said this. He said, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's from a New Testament saint. New Testament apostle. The law is righteous and holy and good. How should you think about the law of God as we get ready to study it together? Just like that. Delight in it. It's holy and it's righteous and it's good. Now I want to close out our time by giving an application to the lost and also an application to the saved, to the unbeliever and to the believer. So to the lost, application to the lost. And this is just me talking to you if you're here today and you're not in Christ. Please let the law of God lead you where it's supposed to lead you. Whether that's just today or you sit here and you spend time with us week after week, hearing the word of God taught, teaching through the law, let the law of God lead you. Don't sit there in arrogance. Yeah, 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 I made up to all that. You, I'm asking the Spirit of God to take His law and show you your need for a Savior. You need saving. And God's standard before your eyes will show you that. You look at it and you sit and you go, man, no way I made up to that and no way I ever will without the power of Christ. So let the law of God lead you. What the law does, and this is a connection with the cities of refuge here, the law awakens you to the danger of the avenger of blood. It awakens you to your need for a city of refuge. That's what the law does for you. And I want to encourage you to let it do that. God is the true avenger of blood. He's righteous. He's never unjust. He's, he's patient, but don't presume upon his patience. It runs out for a lot of people and it's just too late. But he is the avenger of blood. Romans 12, 19 says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, the wrath of God. He is the true and godly and ultimate avenger of blood. Now, unbeliever, lost person in the room, your situation is worse than the manslayer. I want you to know that about yourself. Your situation is worse than the manslayer. Your guilt is not because of merely unintentional sin, but high-handed rebellion against God. That's your guilt. Your situation is worse than the unintentional sin of the manslayer. John 3.36 says, The wrath of God, because of your intentional sin and your unintentional sin, it says the wrath of God abides on you. In other words, the wrath of God is hanging over your head right now when you don't have Christ. In other words, the avenger of blood is pursuing you and he's hot on your heels. And the law's waking you up to that. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel him on your heels? I want to encourage you here, if you're lost today, don't try to deal with this on your own. Don't try to ignore it. Many people try to ignore this, and they die, and they, they, they come under the wrath of God forever. Or they try to stay and deal with it in their own flesh. Maybe, like, maybe it would be like the manslayer or the, or the murderer just trying to stick around. I'll fight the avenger of blood. Listen, fighting the avenger of blood might work with men. It won't work with God. You're not strong enough. 
Or maybe you might try to just hide and maybe he'll forget. Men will forget. God will never forget. He is the ultimate and good and glorious avenger of blood and he'll never forget. The city of refuge is the place to flee to. Don't deal with it on your own. Flee to the city of refuge. Listen to me. The city of refuge is so close to you. This is the reason that we're in Deuteronomy 4 and put a city of refuge, three of them on this side of the Jordan and three of them on the other side of the Jordan and go read Numbers 35. If you guys expand the land, put three more over here. Why keep them so close? So they're not too far away. Listen, salvation is not too far from you. The city of refuge is close at hand. I'm pleading with you to flee there. Listen to this. I don't want to just tell you that. Romans chapter 10 tells you how close it is. Romans 10 verse 6 says this. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That's to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. The city of refuge is near you. The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I'm just reading that. The city of refuge is close. Now you might say, but, but, I thought, but no, no, those cities of refuge, those are just for the unintentional sinners. Listen, Jesus is better than the cities of refuge. He takes in not just the unintentional sin or the, uninten the mistake. He takes in the murderers and the thieves and the adulterers, those that are high-handed, rebellion, haters of God. He takes them in if you just would come, if you just flee to him. Jesus is better than the cities of refuge. So my plea to you is to flee to him. Your life really does depend on it. Flee to Christ as a city of refuge. Now to the saved, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amazing thought. You live safely in the city of refuge. I get this from Hebrews 6.18. Listen to the ways Christians... This is the way Christians are described in Hebrews 6.18. We who have fled for refuge. Isn't that a sweet phrase to describe Christians? We who have fled for refuge. The wrath of God, the vengeance and wrath of God was satisfied on Christ for you. Christ Jesus took you into the city of refuge, willingly went out to the righteous avenger of blood. And took your punishment. And now you're a part of that group that's called we who have fled for refuge. Application. Now why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for us? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin that was canceled at the cross? Think about that. Complete atonement you have made. 
and by your death have fully paid the debt your people owed. No wrath remains for us to face, sheltered by your saving grace in a city of refuge, sheltered there and sprinkled with your blood. And here's the prayer. Here's the prayer of Christians that live in the city of refuge. Be still, my soul, and know this peace. Know it. The merits of your great high priest have bought your liberty. Rely then on his precious blood. And I love this line. Don't fear your banishment from God since Jesus set you free. And now here you are in the city of refuge. And the very law of God, the, the very law of God that awakens you to your sinfulness and awakens you to that righteous avenger of blood, the, that very law of God, now by the Spirit's help, you can delight in it. You can rejoice in it. You can see the glory of God in it. You can find hidden treasures of Christ in the law of God. And you can find comfort. The comfort of refuge, refuge in Christ, in the law of God. And I pray we'll do that in the coming weeks. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the scriptures. We're fools, Lord, without you. God, we're, we're lacking, Lord. We're lacking so much without you. And we give you praise, Lord, that you give us your word. And that you give us wisdom in your word and, and light in the darkness. And, and I just pray, God, that you'd help us. Help us to, to continually, God, prepare our hearts to study your law. Show us Christ. Show us ourselves, Lord. Show us the glory, your glory, Lord. Help us to walk in godliness to be like you as we see you revealed in your word. Help us, Lord, please, in this time. Thank you, thank you for letting us study this book together. And God, I want to give you praise that you've made, you've made your people those who have fled for refuge. God, you would have remained completely righteous to leave us without a city. God, to leave us under the vengeance that we deserve, God, you'd have been completely righteous. But your mercy is more. And we give you praise for your mercy. God, help us to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.